Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. All right, here's a joke. Did you hear that there's a new restaurant on the moon? Great food, no atmosphere. I'm Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And from American Public Media, this is the Dinner Party Download, the show that equips you to win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from Terry DeCastro. She's the former bassist of indie band The Wedding Present, one of my favorites. And coming up, globetrotting DJ Diplo, Electric Eels, The Birth of Pong, Disco Drinks. One of my favorites. Tofu You and Cloud Nothings. But first, time for small talk. So, Brendan, this week in the news, it was all about people visiting enemy territory. I came back to work after holiday weekend. That would be one example. Yeah. Uh, another one is President Barack Obama made a surprise visit to Afghanistan. Not three days after visiting Republicans. Yes, in the DMZ called the, our Congress. LeBron James returned to Cleveland after breaking that town's heart by choosing to play in Miami. Yes, and I know Cleveland wanted him to feel some regret, but it was like 27 <laughs> degrees that day. <laughs> he scored more points than there were degrees Fahrenheit. He scored 38. So <laughs> I think he's happy with his decision. And finally, Julian Assange, the founder of WikiLeaks, went outside. That's right. AKA enemy territory. Maybe you should get a condo with LeBron in Afghanistan. We can have everything just in one spot there. I want to see that sitcom. (laughs) Folks, uh, to find stories that weren't in the headlines, we ventured into friendly territory and talked to our friends at Marketplace. John Haas, editor, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? There's a Japanese aquarium just outside of Tokyo that's going to power a six-foot-tall Christmas tree with electric eels. Really? They're going to have the eels swim around, and there'll be aluminum plates that send the uh, charge up through wires and light up the lights. So there's all our environmental problems solved. We'll just power the grid with eels. <laughs> the Obama administration's already looking to find a nuclear-powered whale. Stacey Vanek-Smith, senior reporter for Marketplace. What story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Well, Brendan, the mansion from the Godfather movies where the Corleones lived uh-huh. is an actual mansion in Staten Island, and it's up for sale. Really? For $2.9 million. It's an eight-bedroom house. So insert offer you can't refuse joke here, right? <laughs> you think this is funny? No, Stacey. Do I amuse you? Am I a joke to you? <laughs> Jennifer Collins, reporter, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? So maybe you've heard of the Kardashians. They're this reality show family. And they attached their name to this prepaid debit card earlier this year. It was aimed at young adults, their fans. Problem is, earlier this week, they took their names off this card. Why? There are these really high fees associated with the card, so it was considered predatory. Like $100 a year if you keep it. This is for a prepaid card? Yeah, the Connecticut Attorney General is looking into this. This is just another blow to America's faith in its financial system. It's like, forget Bear Stearns, if we cannot trust the Kardashian name. Who can we trust? And now... Time for cocktails. Once again, we tell you something that happened this week in history, then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like history got in trouble, but instead of hot water, it got in hot booze. (laughs) (laughs) That rapscallion history. Not really a punishment, huh? Not really. Uh, Here's the history. This week, back in 1972, the first smash hit video game was unveiled. Now, the Gen Xers at your dinner party will remember this game fondly, Yes. but even they won't know its origins. Thanks to our friend Michelle Philippi, you're about to. The game that launched an industry 
was made for drunks. See, in 1971, a guy named Nolan Bushnell produced the first coin-operated video game. He and his engineer pals loved it, but average Joes couldn't figure out the complex rules. The game flopped. So a year later, when Bushnell founded a company called Atari, he told his engineer to design a game so simple you could play it tipsy. The result? Simple video ping pong, simply named Pong. Atari installed the prototype in a Silicon Valley bar. And within two weeks, fascinated customers had stuffed it so full of quarters, it broke. Pong machines raked in cash across America. Competitors churned out imitations. Soon, there were more than 10,000 Pongs and Sons of Pongs. Video games were suddenly big business. Meanwhile, Pong bounced out of bars and into family rooms, becoming the first home video game hit. And in 1977, kids could play it in public at Bushnell's next business venture, Chuck E. Cheese Restaurants. So that was the history. Now for the drink to serve along with it. I'm speaking with Johnny Raglan at Comstock Saloon in San Francisco, first cousin to Silicon Valley. Johnny, you heard the history. What cocktail does it inspire you to make? Well, I had to dig into the annals of cocktail history and found a cocktail from 1903, the ping pong cocktail. Perfect. Yay. So we're going back to the beginning of the 20th century to do a cocktail for the end. Yes. A combination of slow gin, creme de violette, and lemon juice. So the cocktail that I came up with is a little bit more 70s-esque. So this is a variation you're doing? Yep. Substituting for the creme de violette, drambouille, which is very popular in the 70s. And I call it the pong pong. Appropriate. Yeah. Squared. Uh, so it's my understanding that you, you actually had a Pong home game when you were little? I used to have like an Activision set. That's the one game that I had on it was Pong. It's, it is amazing that at one time that game was considered entertaining. Yeah. Things were different in the 70s. But I mean, you say the same thing about cocktails in the 70s. You read the ingredients and it's just like, really? People drank a lot of that? But, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> on Quaaludes, it's great. So, Rico, something tells me it wasn't Ludes Bushnell was on when he dreamt up Chuck E. Cheese. <laughs> it is a little, it's more hallucinogenic, I think. It's a bad trip. The concept has always frightened me. Eating with a giant singing rat? I don't no, blame you. No, a kid's restaurant. What? Isn't a children's menu enough? I mean, they don't even have money. <laughs> what have they done to deserve a whole restaurant? They're going to think all of life's a pizza party. Uh, people, you can ping us about Pong and find all our drink recipes at our website, dinnerpartydownload.org. guest of honor this week is DJ producer, tastemaker, Wes Pence. Well, actually, Wesley Pence is my real name, but no one's calling me Wesley except my mother when, I, when she's mad at me. Well, actually, I have a message from your mom. Really? No. Oh, man. I thought you really were friends with my mom because she's like big on MySpace and Twitter. So, But you're also known as Diplo. You have a label, Mad Decent. You just released a compilation of dubstep. What is dubstep? Dubstep, it's a bass-heavy music that started in London, but dubstep's made for the clubs. You don't really listen to it at home. Yeah, no, I was going to say that listening to it on my computer was <laughs> while having tea was really bizarre. Yeah, it's not really tea music. I'd say it's more like when you take like an Irish coffee or something.
So this is just one kind of subgenre of music that you've brought to light. Bally funk is, is another one. You know, you're kind of like this ethnomusicologist. I just was always obsessed with collecting records and collecting music and, you know, Folkways and Smithsonian record stuff was really fascinating to me, but I was like a hip hop collector. I collect the old records. I used to sell records to people like Kanye West. Really? Yeah, I used to have actually a shout out from him on my first mixtape. He's like, Diplo has all the craziest records in the whole world. And it's so funny to see him now. He still isn't who I am after like five years. But so I just, as we grew and started the label, we put out some funk stuff, some Baltimore club stuff, some underground house stuff. And Whatever I just think is is game-changing and fascinating to me, I kind of want to support with the label. I have a genre, $2 Merlot untuned guitar strum you should check out. I think I've seen that's an offshoot of the two-buck Chuck uh, Trader Joe's folk indie step. that I already... God, you pegged me just like that. Yeah, I already knew that, man. Trust me. If I wanted to be in a rock band, I could read the Beatles biography. But you're kind of like in new territory. You're like a curator and a party thrower. Who do you draw inspiration from? Well, I was going to say, I don't, I don't really know because it is kind of unknown territory. I feel like I'm still like a DJ that's out there DJing with a bunch of kids and we're all making new music. But I like to keep everything connected. And the one guy that I look up to a lot is Africa Rambada, who's one of those guys in the early days of hip hop who was really pushing things forward and changing things, playing like rock records and weird trance records and techno records in the early days in the Bronx in the hip-hop parties. You know, you're on the road constantly because you're DJing from Japan to Brazil to everywhere. You have a perspective on the world that a lot of people don't. How's it going out there? I'll tell you, it's crazy. America is, it's probably got the most range of things happening here by far. But when I go to places like Cambodia or Vietnam, it's so crazy how progressive the kids are and the music that they like and, you know, the underground scenes. And And I love it. We have two questions we ask everyone on the show. The first question is, um, what question are you tired of being asked in interviews? I just don't like to be asked about my connection with MIA, I guess. And for those who don't know, MIA is a popular female rapper you work with, and she got in a flame war with the New York Times. And, and there was a lot of problems, but I don't like to talk about it all anymore because it always gets me in trouble. Okay. Well, our second question is, tell us something we don't know about you. Somebody was like hacking my Wikipedia page for like the last two years. It was like a nightmare. Like my age was wrong. It was like the wrong information about my life. Complex Magazine did an interview with me and they used the Wikipedia page as a reference. They said I was like 38 years old and I was born in not even the right city. And I was like, why don't you just talk to my press agent and get this information? Well, here's what I, I want to do. Go to the Iraq war page and make it end. That'd be cool. I mean, my friend used to always go to the uh, Moby Dick page and just edit a whole, the whole massive text and just say, it's about a big ass whale. Oh, my mom's calling me. Is that your mom really calling you? My mom calling me. Mom, I was doing an interview on national radio. Can you call me back? Well, mom, this is really important. So, Brendan, there is something worse, actually, than having someone sabotage your Wikipedia page. Oh, yeah? What, what's that? Not having one. Exactly. Like us. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, do us a favor and crowdsource us into existence, please. To get the facts straight, uh, stop by our website first, dinnerpartydownload.org. So we've met our guest of honor. Now it's time for the main course, the part of the show where we learn about food. So, Brendan, when I say college food, you say... Malt liquor? Yes, (laughs) apparently, (laughs) or something equally unhealthy, unless you attend UCLA. Okay. That school is known nationwide for offering super healthy food alongside the burgers and fries in its cafeterias. Makes sense. And this week, it won a contest held by PETA. It was named the most vegan-friendly college campus in America. Oh, man, that's crazy. My college was named the most 7-Eleven hot dog-friendly <laughs> campus in America. That is a, that's a rare honor. <laughs> My grad school, too. And mine was very genial to pizzas. Uh, but anyway, the other day, I met with Joanne Miguel of UCLA's Dining Services and also with Roger Pigosi, the executive chef. 
and they told me about making veganism available in the school's many, many restaurants. We have a total of eight restaurants where our students can dine. We have 9,400 residents in the residence halls, and we're open pretty much from 7 in the morning to 2 a.m., seven days a week. That's a lot of veggie burgers. Yes, it is, but we have a lot more than veggie burgers. <laughs> well, let me ask. You've got so many vegan options. Most campuses, I think, are probably content with the veggie burger. Why give so many options? We meet with uh, Bruins for Animals. That's a group right here on campus. They brought a lot of the um, requests to our attention. And the management team here, we're, we challenged ourselves to be vegan for one week, 24-7. So we did that. And I think you realize how critical it is to find something you want to eat. So our approach was, it wasn't just tofu. We looked at analogs. Things like seitan and vegan meat substitutes. Yeah, seitan. And just using great grilled vegetables and root vegetables to take on a, a flavor and, and a consistency where you don't even miss the meat. What was it like going vegan for a week? Was that tough? I found it tough. <laughs> it was interesting. I got to try a lot of things that I haven't had before. But Are you, are you back to hamburgers now? Maybe. It's <laughs> the thought that counts. Do you see this happening in other schools? Are we going to see more of this stuff? Or are we seeing less of it? Because I know that when I go to college campuses, I do see more fast food restaurants than, say, when I went to school. Uh, more. It's, I, don't, I, don't, I think it's a trend that's here to stay. I think we see it happening throughout. We get calls from other campuses, contacted by other universities, and it's definitely something that we hear and see throughout the other campuses as well. So what's the, uh, the favorite vegan dish? that you serve? A VBQ, a, a vegan barbecue beef sandwich. That's the one that, that seemed to get the most attention besides our chicken nuggets, vegan. It's not hard to come up with something better than actual chicken nuggets, <laughs> by the way. You could substitute almost anything. Yeah, whether they're real or not real, the real ones versus the vegan ones, doesn't matter. That's right, it's fake meat either way. Rico, fake meat has to be right up there with small plates on my list of food things that make no sense. It's a Unsatisfying scams, both of them. Interesting, because my go-to vegetarian meal in college was actually fake meat-free. It's very sensible of you. Thanks. It was called Rico's Jam and Ramen Noodles. Uh -huh. And here's the recipe. You, uh, you throw the flavor packet away, you cook the noodles, and then you just douse it with hot sauce. <laughs> and enjoy. Oh, I get it. So, so it's like no fake meat. Or real nutritional value. At all. <laughs> and that's the Dinner Party download for this week, folks. Special thanks to Jackson Musker. And now we leave you with One for the Road, a song to listen to on your way to or returning from this weekend's dinner party. The band is called Cloud Nothing, and the song is called Understand It All. Which you do now that you've heard our show. Bon appétit.
I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And I'm Francis Enrico Galliano. Wow, I've never heard you use your whole name before. What gives? I'm, uh, I'm in trouble with Diplo's mom. Ouch.